Welcome to Escape Routes with Condé Nast Traveller. My name is Melinda Stevens, the Editor-in-Chief of Condé Nast Traveller US and Condé Nast Traveller UK, and it is my pleasure to introduce you to our podcast series. Travel is all about storytelling, a story of a place, of its people, of a journey, and at Condé Nast Traveller we've always celebrated the most transportative, evocative travel writing. With much of the world currently grounded, we've come together to take you to some of our favourite places, if only in your imagination, by listening to our most loved travel stories read aloud by the writers who penned them. We hope these short escape routes allow you to daydream of far-flung adventures, discover the world's curious corners or recast familiar destinations in a fresh light, and that you love these travel stories as much as I do. Hello, my name is Antonia Quirk and welcome to Condé Nast Traveller's Escape Routes. I'll be reading my piece about the town of Abud in Bali, which featured in the September 2019 issue of Condé Nast Traveller. I hope you enjoy it. Breakfast in Ubud through a rainbow wash of spring rain. All the temples and cafes stripped back and steaming. All the town's dogs wading about with hair slicked like otters. And the moment it stops, instantaneous renewal. Sun swelling out the streets with light. Little pale lizards darting from wet stone to wet stone tables on pavements, being reset with iced coffees sweetened by a dash of condensed milk. All cleansings, all rebirths, all supremely Ubud, the town in the high heart of Bali, known for its landscape of voluptuous foliage, sacred waters, artists, healers, river valleys, pools with an impossibly perfect pH. As I wait for my ride at noon, beside a crossing along Jalan Hanuman Street, all life is turned fantastically outward in a town that feels like an intricate temple site. Everybody living and moving amongst the courtyards and platforms, pavilions and antechambers at a perpetual catch-up, an international picnic. Always the smell of cooking pork squabbling golden children, demanding the satai being griddled on byres along pavements, unwrapping rice in banana leaves like presents and triumphantly scooping peanut sauce toasted with chilies out of oily bowls. A couple of Catalans carrying wriggling newborns and tree rubber yoga mats hover at the junction, talking of the Costa Dorada. Hipsters suck on herb-spiked matches, wearing rough beanies like Steve McQueen in Papillon. Exquisite Swedish teenagers with plump skin, baked the colour of raspberry, rummage in bum bags for change. A busker attempts John Coltrane for a woman in mismatched shoes who might have just walked out on her life with her one suitcase. Jet-lagged models, stabs of red hibiscus. 
Someone born here told me that one day in the mid-1980s, he noticed a strange and unusual thing. A lone campervan parked in fields by the old bridge, full of sleeping young Australians in wetsuits. And since then, there really has been no end to the visitors. Everyone increasingly drawn up from the sticky hotels in Seminyak and Changu. They gather here instead, inside great cloth pyramids thrown up in rice paddies for acoustic bioresonance sessions and vinyasa flow. Frowning hot deskers run businesses out of open-plan bamboo co-working offices on the road along the forest, where every bank or bar down the crammed boulevards is a salon for foot rubs or vipassana meditation. Grizzled ex-soldiers, having backpacked here, dazed after the Gulf War, hug it out on pavements after Tantra Hatha. All the taut-muscled self-improvement gurus, all the prophesying voices, all the flotsam and jetsam drawn to tropical Asia, buying carvings of Durga with a tongue of fire, while traffic jams of scooters blare under gigantic pule trees, dripping in vines. Within an hour of first being here, I thought, I have to leave. But then I kept finding reasons not to. The breeze can blow so fresh from the northeastern slopes of Mounts Batur and Agung in the lilac distance, reminding you that this is an uplands town. And sometimes a white mist creeps down the lanes with the sombre damp of a Cumbrian autumn. In legend, the mountains of Bali were created so the island's people could live in an airy place, under skies of rare flowers, where snakes manifest as falling stars. And so one weekend, I drive north, towards the mountains, with my friend Bauer, to visit his mother, juddering in a dented car beyond the art shops and massage huts on the edge of town. We stop to let pass a procession for a festival of the full moon. Tatuam Asi, Tatuam Asi sing a long line of celebrants carrying offerings. I am you and you are me. Green tangerines and sotong fruit, tobacco and matches, fried sugar cakes moulded into figurines of priests. A village toddler wearing leopard print leggings holds a quivering duck. There are no official wise men amongst the procession from this particular temple, says Bauer, because many are already present in spirit, their bodies unseen. Balinese Hinduism has deep-rooted overtones of animism, touches of Buddhism and Shaivism, cults of the underworld, a knotty assimilation, everything eventually organised to complement the sympathetic temperament of the people. Most days there's some kind of celebration, marriage and funeral rites, the hoisting of temple ornaments and parasols, demigods, protectors, antagonizers. The pure of heart sometimes walk on hot coals that redden and blacken and then redden again. It's Sunday, and along the roads, families are out together for the day, stopping at cafes for suckling pig and immense neon-coloured crackers, like party crisps for giants, sold in bags at stalls next to petrol in old vodka bottles. Brooms and calor gas, hair combs and wild vanilla, bottles of arak 
the local hooch that will knock you out, although it's the innocent colour of apricot squash. Nobbled bushels of passion fruit, yellow as gobstoppers, and little fritters of eel, each tenacious creature caught with a bamboo pincer at sunset when they come out to swim. Just beyond the floating temples at Lake Bratan, our road thins and quickly winds up into dripping high jungle. Below, rice paddies on shining, descending plateaus are green and perfect as billiard tables. Long-tailed monkeys sit about the pitted tarmac with their hair madly stuck out all over. Never look a monkey in the eye, warns Bauer with owlish sincerity, fiddling with the fading radio signal. A crackle of dangduk music. Songs about women who love bad men and just can't help it. Arrest me, the lyrics chime out over and over as the morning deepens, or I might steal his soul. first left his remote northern village at the foot of Babetin Mountain as a teenager to find work in Denpasar and eventually Ubud. He studied so hard in preparation he would wake with a face thick with soot from long nights spent at his books by a guttering paraffin lamp. Climbing mangosteen trees after school each day, he would imagine the South. I needed to know, he says, of whatever lay beyond. He laughs. I'm such a dreamer. Avocado trees swelter in the forest. Coffee too, white turmeric and clove. Ginger plants with powerful roots the size of your thumb that you can boil into a headlolling syrup. Trumpet flowers lean into the car and prehistoric ferns. And when we stop for a while at a temple in Bebetin, where Bauer used to pray as a child, he shows me stone carvings of jewelled feet, swirling sprites, fragments of limbs and bodies, hands carrying ferocious swords. Moss covers everything, so the whole edifice seems living. One chiselled effigy of a woman in a panelled dress has hair so primly curled she could be on a medieval pew in Cornwall. How old is this? I ask, and Bauer shrugs. Bauer doesn't know how old his mother is either, but then neither does she. Time simply does what time will do. It's not easy being a town renowned for culture and healing on an island with already so many fanciful definitions. Island of peace. Island of a thousand temples. Arcadia of the East. Ubud, so descended upon, so fluttering with flyers for alchemy of breath and the solo female travellers' network. There are very few, if any, attacks on women visiting Bali, by the way. But this place is full of gurus in love with saving people and declaring on the great aliveness of the universe. One day, as I'm standing, looking at a poster for a talk on the alkalizing effects of oat straw on the nervous system, along a scooter-crammed street, I think of Anne Elliot in Jane Austen's Persuasion, taking the waters for her health at Bath and wondering which concert to attend, which improving lecture. 
Through the open gates of a house nearby, I see a stone frieze of a hunter catching a topless angel at a river and stealing her sash and revealing her nakedness so she can't fly away. On a TV in the courtyard, a teenage boy and his grandmother watch a popular show in which the contestant with the most virtuous heart wins a new house. In the cafe at Tookie's Coconut Shop, I bump into elegant Londoner Amber, wearing a peasant dress with swinging pearl tassels, and her six-year-old daughter, Silver, both spooning coconut ice cream. They used to live in Ibiza, but when Silver broke her leg jumping off a table on holiday in a wood, they stayed while she convalesced, and without really knowing how, Silver ended up going to school here along with all the other children of Dutch neo-hippies and tousled chefs and Argentinian models and Havanan architects, where they all sit on mats spread like islands across the classroom floor, learning compassion and composting. The three of us chew on dried banana, and the only sound for a while is the hum of a drowsy bee, until 60-something Kadek, who has a house next door, starts down the street with a long bamboo spike to ease down fresh frangipani blossom from high trees for the early evening offering at his family temple. Afternoons, evenings, weeks, a childhood can pass like this, negotiating over and over the seductive knot of streets and shops, stories and faces. Ubud can be impossible, a whirlwind of flies in the dog days when everybody talks with nostalgia about how beautiful it used to be here, how green and unruined and cool. But Ubud? is always vivid. And in the fields and valleys of the Bangli region especially, you can still find things that seem profoundly removed from any documented present. One day, sworn to secrecy, I'm taken to a cleansing ritual in a hidden dell up a frothing river where I clamber for an hour along waterfalls, my fingers grasping for purchase, feet slipping off time-smoothed boulders alongside a family from Jakarta who've come especially to submit their toddler for a blessing. The child yells and kicks while a priest leads us in the dark through newly spun spider's webs. On the riverbank, a pig's spine has been strewn after a night sacrifice. Water pounds, blood knocks in my head from the effort, the surprise, the intensity. And when I eventually return to where I'd started, on a stone promontory sits the yawning temple dog, and by its side, a praying mantis, Disney green and glimmering like a nugget of peridot. For a few hours after that, I don't think I've ever felt better in my life, or seen things so close up. I stumble back down the lanes of a bud, passing the children's karate team, all chatting with the ceremonial dancing girls who are waiting to give a performance under their weight of costume jewellery, their headdresses grand and jutting as chandeliers. Past the men playing chess, surrounded by cages of furious sipo birds and past the American ex-flight attendant, who sits outside Naughty Nuri's barbecue 
all day, slowly drinking Pisco Sours and reading crime novels until his ancient golden Labrador shambles to its feet to lead him home. Women carry baskets of eggs and incense on their heads and they turn circles and circles and talk under a sunset as crimson as a fantasy of vengeance that flickers over a thousand stone demons dressed in skirts of checkered cloth and slung with bruised garlands of orange marigolds. This podcast has been brought to you by Malaysia Airlines, the national carrier of Malaysia, which is the best way to fly to, from and around Malaysia. Flights run from London Heathrow to Kuala Lumpur aboard the -the state-of-the-art Airbus A350. The airline is a member of OneWorld, so customers can also collect and redeem Avios, as well as earn tier points when booking Malaysia Airlines flights to Southeast Asia and Australasia. For more information, visit www.malaysiaairlines.com. We hope you enjoyed our Escape Routes podcast. Please remember to like and subscribe to help boost us in the charts and ensure you are the first to hear about new episodes.